It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. As Congress closes out the year, negotiations for a government funding bill, a supplemental, are still up in the air as the parties fight over Ukraine aid, Israel funding, and a resolution of the border crisis. That's the most pressing and what's being negotiated late. And House Republicans continue their investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings with the president's son dodging a House subpoena last week. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. Less than a month remains until the Iowa caucuses, with former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley picking up steam, snagging the endorsement of New Hampshire Republican Governor Chris Sununu. But will that endorsement help her gain any momentum against former President Trump, who looks like a juggernaut in all states? For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Jessica Tarloff, director of domestic policy studies at AEI, Matthew Connetti and Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Chad, first to you, what's the latest on this negotiation? It seems, you know, these words of optimism from Senator Schumer and others, uh, Senator Wicker on the Republican side, but boy, the clock doesn't seem like it's helpful. It was very telling just a few minutes ago, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was asked whether or not there would be a vote of some sort. Some people have thought there might be a show vote just this week on border security. Uh, we really don't think that they would have a bona fide vote because they aren't you know, just close enough to the point that they can get legislative text together. And at first, Schumer kind of dodged the question and said, well, there's negotiations going on right now, which is true because Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, had been at the microphones with him and was going back to the talks. And I had even asked a White House aide who was up here whether or not Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, was going to be coming back for the afternoon session of talks, and that was unclear. But then Schumer was asked again about uh, whether or not, uh, you know, Democrats would be vulnerable here and whether or not there would be a, a supplemental vote uh, it related to the supplemental. Remember, there's Israel money involved in this, Ukraine money involved in this. And he said, quote, I'm optimistic that we get something done when we get back. So nobody up here really thought that they would be able to get something done uh, this week. Uh, there was a point where Senator Welch, Democrat from uh, Vermont, was asked whether or not they might do this the week after Christmas. Republicans have talked about getting jammed. They're very fearful of that. Really, there's not many Republicans in the building. At, at one point yesterday, we had a grand total, Brett, of 61, count them, 61 senators voting, uh, which is the lowest vote number I've seen in years up here on a, on a roll call vote. 
but they don't have the legislative text. It would take at least, even if they got a deal this week, it would take them a minimum of another week plus to write it. Uh, probably some scoring from the CBO, frankly. Uh, another few days to socialize it. Uh, that gets you to well after the first of the year. And this is where some people think, you know, they might be lucky to vote by the middle of January on this. And then we talk about the House of Representatives. I've been told that House Speaker Mike Johnson understands the importance of getting something for Ukraine and Israel, is interested to see what they can come up with on border security, although that's going to be very uh, politically tough for him because, you know, there's some Republicans who don't want to touch that issue at all and say, if it's not 100 percent what we're looking for, what they call up here H.R. 2, which is, uh, you know, the border wall and a few other things, they're not going to vote for that because that's what the House of Representatives passed. Uh, You know, think about how long, Brett, It took them to do Build Back Better and the Inflation Reduction Act. Months, months. And so we're trying to do this in a compact period. So even if they were to get this through both the House and Senate, probably 1st of February or beyond would be optimistic, frankly. Yeah, a couple things on that, Chad. So I had um, Ukrainian President Zelensky on the show and following him, I had Speaker Mike Johnson. So in the back and forth with Zelensky, he said, I understand the domestic politics in not so many words and said, it doesn't have to come now or January, February, but it needs to come, basically. Right. And Johnson in the commercial break said to me, wow, that was interesting. You know, it seemed like he gave him a little bit of breathing room as far as getting this all across the finish line. What I wanted to ask you specifically is what can Senate negotiators come up with that would please enough the House because it's not going to be H.R. 2. What specifically on the border do we know the details? Yeah, you see, that's rather opaque here. What we know is that there would be enhanced border security, whatever that means. Uh, There would probably be some sort of change as to how many migrants can actually come in. And maybe if you hit a quota, if in fact that's what they come up with and they say, okay, that's Nobody else. So how do you turn those people back around? You work out a system from Guatemala and Honduras and other countries that they're coming from uh, to take those folks back in. What do you do with asylum? You see, this is what's going to be very interesting uh, when I talk about the the, the cocktail that they're going to have to put together. Just because you have a coalition of Democrats and Republicans who come together in the Senate on this, it's not like the Democrats in the House of Representatives, Brett, can haul the freight because you have liberal Democrats who are looking at this from a completely different 180 degree uh, perspective from what conservative Republicans are and saying, hey, uh, you know, we don't like changes to asylum or changes to parole or whatever that you're going to be. We can't vote for this. So that is going to be a really delicate balance in the House. You know, we've talked about some of those cocktails, legislative cocktails that they put together to pass big bills, you know, this Congress. Uh, that's going to be even trickier in the House of Representatives. And if for no other reason, that's why it might take more time. Yeah. Jessica, I do sense, though, there is a change on the perception of the immigration problem. And even in the Democratic and the liberal Democratic side, there is some kind of acknowledgement that this has surpassed where it's been before. Yeah, I think that's completely correct. Um, It's been a bit of a slow drip, I think, since uh, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis started shipping migrants all over the place. And I think what started out as a pretty effective talking point of Republicans are playing games with people's lives, right, sending them to to Martha's Vineyard, et cetera, has now turned into big city liberal mayors 
losing their minds on television about what's going on with their cities being overrun and also putting blame back on the Biden administration for not ponying up with the federal dollars, which is their obligation, at least in, in my belief, um, for them to do since this is a federal enforcement problem. Um, it has been interesting. I mean, the evolution of John Fetterman, um, especially in the eyes of Republicans, has been fascinating, you know, going right. from overgrown vegetable to the clearest voice on Israel and immigration <laughs> that we have in the country. But I think that his decision to come out so forcefully in favor of a real conversation about what's going on on the border has made a mark on the party because there have always been voices talking about it. Mark Kelly, the senator in Arizona, Henry Cuellar in the House, et cetera. But Fetterman seems to have pushed this um, to another level and then also, you know, tying in this conversation around what makes someone a progressive, what makes someone establishment and him just saying, you know, you need to be results oriented and we can't have closed eyes to the trauma that these people are experiencing and also the trauma being inflicted on Americans by having a broken immigration system. And so, you know, in the past, we've obviously had the gang of eight. Um, and, you know, people have been optimistic, maybe we could get something done. But the fact that it's tied to funding that must pass in the eyes of so many Democrats and Republicans for supporting Ukraine and Israel, I think, makes this have bigger or hopefully more effective legs than we've seen in the past. Yeah. Jessica, you also have the Democratic governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, moving yeah. the National Guard to the border, which, you know, yep. is a different move. It's totally a different move. Um, it's when these when these actions are taken by surprising characters, you do perk up, right? And you know you expect something like this from a uh, Kirsten Cinema, who has always um, had more, I'd say, perceived right wing talking points about immigration. Let's say, and obviously she's you know out on an independent island at this particular moment, but. Katie Hobbs, tried and true Democrat, right? John Fetterman, tried and true Democrat, uh, Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, what Eric Adams has been talking about uh, going on in, in Washington, D.C. as well, uh, where you guys are. I think it, it has really reframed the debate for a lot of liberals. Yeah. Matt, what, overall, uh, you know, the supplemental where the administration is uh, as we start heading to voting season. Well, I think the administration bungled this, Brett. First, they tied the Ukraine money to the Israel money and then tied it together with border reform and money for Taiwan, thinking that, well, we'll, we'll swing big and everyone will come together because everyone will see some interest in part of this package. That has not worked out the way the administration planned. Then a few weeks ago, the administration came out with this letter from the director of the Office of Management and Budget saying, well, our aid to Ukraine is going to end by December 30th. So you have to pass this Congress. And Congress has basically shown her the hand and they have, they're not going to pass anything by December 30th. What's the real deadline? It seems to me that the real deadline, and we know that Congress really only acts when there's a deadline, is in January and February with the end of the government funding. And we have the two-tiered funding that Chad has reported on, uh, beginning 
One drop-off is January 19th, and the other is February 2nd. And it's possible, to me at least, that some of this money for Israel, maybe for Ukraine, gets kind of shoveled into the overall government appropriations, and then you have the chance of a bipartisan majority to pass it. But the chances are still slim for another constraint, and that is the rapidly shrinking Republican majority in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. It was already the narrowest Republican majority in a century, and now it's losing members by the week, whether it's George Santos expelled or Kevin McCarthy resigning. There's the potential of another Republican resigning early in the year to take up a college administration position. You could get to the point where the House Republicans have a two or one seat majority and they can't pass anything with a, a 10 seat or 7 12 seat majority right so it, the the chances of this funding and speaker johnson keeping his job i think are very slim chad weigh in on that and also you know we're getting closer uh, as we get into 2024 obviously to the countdown to election day and we'll be looking at things through that prism um right now this is the least productive leadership or Republican caucus or Congress that we've seen in a long, long time. It's amazing how little they've gotten done this year. I mean, that that uh, 15 round speaker vote for Kevin McCarthy, the longest uh, you know speaker vote in 164 years, kind of was the uh, appetizer for what to expect this year. I asked Mitch McConnell about this today, and he said, you know, he said, I wish we could have been much more productive. But Brett, it's just been a terrible year for Congress. I mean, there are bad years. This is one of the worst. I mean, from the, the, the Kevin McCarthy stuff back in January to the Kevin McCarthy stuff. Oh, and the Steve Scalise stuff, the Jim Jordan stuff, the Tom Ember stuff. Oh, we landed on Mike Johnson stuff in October, kicking out Santos, uh, Mark Wayne Mullen threatening to, to fight a, a senator, uh, a witness at a hearing, I should say, a senator from Oklahoma, sex in hearing rooms. I mean, and here they are the week before Christmas. I said just a minute ago, they only had 61 people show up for a roll call vote. The Senate was not scheduled to be in session. As far as I can tell, uh, this is the lowest vote total they've had for a Senate vote since May of 1959. They had, at that point, 56 people show up. So it, this kind of is the punctuation point to how unproductive this has been. So what does that mean for January and February? Well, you have those two funding deadlines, one of which is Groundhog Day, I should point out, 2nd of February, uh, that this is going to be a monster. And it's hard to see how they're able to get some of that done to fund the government, to move one of these sub supplemental bills, or do they split them apart, Israel and Ukraine and maybe border someplace else? Does that get wrapped into one of these funding bills? Are they able to fund the military for the entire fiscal year and just not a, a continuing resolution? You know, there's some people I've spoken with who said, you know, we avoided a, a crisis with a government shutdown twice in the fall. And they kind of thought that a government shutdown was inevitable at some point. Maybe that's what we're staring at. And little by little, you, you know, uh, Mike Johnson continues to, you know, have this death by a thousand cuts. Uh, we don't sense that he is in any particular jeopardy, but at some point these chickens are going to come home to roost. I mean, the best thing that Mike Johnson has had going for him is that A, he's not Kevin McCarthy. B, he's not Kevin McCarthy. See, he's not Kevin McCarthy. Other than that, Republicans, conservatives are starting to say, well, what have you delivered? He got an absolute earful just a couple of weeks ago here, the fact that they did not pass 
a, a, a reformed FISA bill. This is Section 702, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which is going to expire at the end of the year. Conservatives have crowed about this since the Russia investigation, saying it's too invasive. Uh, you know, there were two competing bills which they couldn't agree upon, so they tucked just a renewal that goes to April into that, and he got, you know, absolutely torched by folks. And you know what we've not talked about amid all this? Are they going to be able to pass? Are they going to be able to impeach the president or impeach Mayorkas? Uh, will they be willing to impeach Mayorkas if they passed a, a border bill that people are, are happy with? You know, what I want to know what time of day with the legislative traffic that they're supposed to handle in January and February, uh, that they're going to have time to deal with impeachment of the president or Mayorkas or any of these other investigations that they want to do. I mean, uh, again, you know, again, uh, the bandwidth is just, uh, you know, staggering here, frankly. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Uh, Jessica, you know, we're, we're, you know, less than a month from Iowa caucuses and um, it looks like former President Trump is in a poll position. Obviously, um, his opponents say there's time to close that gap. And we've seen that before, uh, but never like this, never this kind of lead heading into those early states. What's your assessment? And obviously the Democrats are, you know, running around looking at poll numbers and whispering about um, warnings to come. I would, I mean, whispering about warnings is more polite than what my phone yeah. looks like, which is like five alarm fires and some breakdowns, the likes we haven't seen uh, since Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. So it's definitely getting um, a little chippy on my side of the fence. But Donald Trump's lead in Iowa does seem insurmountable. But I think that the most interesting movement of the last couple of days has got to be Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. Uh, moving up 19 points, I think it was, in the latest poll and bringing Donald Trump down to 44%. He was way above 50% in everything. Um, and we know that that is an important threshold um, to have. Now, does that mean that I don't think Donald Trump is going to be the nominee? No. But it seems like 
if there is some consolidation on the Republican side, and I don't know who it will be that will drop out. It seems like a lot of fingers are being pointed at Chris Christie, where New Hampshire was his hope, right, to be able to win there and then make a case moving forward. But if he drops out, if a Ramaswamy drops out, um, then maybe there's some consolidation behind Haley with endorsements. Obviously, we know Vivek is <laughs> unlikely to endorse her. But uh, I think a lot of eyes are looking at DeSantis and wondering, is his calculus for the fate of the Republican Party, i.e. it has to be someone besides Donald Trump if we are to win, or is his calculus for Ron DeSantis? And if he can't be the nominee, then he doesn't really care what happens. Yeah. Matt, I mean, you look at that, those equations, uh, Chris Christie drops out. It's very possible that those voters go to Nikki Haley, but Ron DeSantis pulls out a lot of his voters. Second choice is former President Trump. Vivek Ramaswamy is exactly the same way. I think his percentage of second choice for Trump is actually higher than DeSantis's. Um, So, you know, it's just the math. Haley would need DeSantis weirdly to stay in the race, I think, if she does win in New Hampshire, to draw votes from Trump in South Carolina and beyond. Whether that would happen, we don't know. And it's all a long shot. I will say Haley benefits from New Hampshire's rules, which allows crossover voting and independents and Democrats. And so if Christie were to get out and endorse her with the crossover vote, she has a real chance to win New Hampshire. She could become, Brett, the John McCain of 2000, who had a stunning victory in New Hampshire and made it a race against George W. Bush. But of course, George W. Bush won in the end. And it just goes to show you that right now, Donald Trump, the once uh, once outsider, is the establishment candidate. He is the Republican establishment in the same way, in fact, even more powerfully, than when George W. Bush was the establishment 20-some years ago. Yeah. He is doing things that are raising eyebrows, Chad, and and it's interesting to see lawmakers have to deal with the questions about the speech over the weekend where he Mm -hmm. says immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of America. Um, All kinds of stories, all kinds of coverage. you know, I was asked about it and I said, yeah, Democrats and Republicans are not only raising eyebrows, but talking about it openly about how it's, you know, obviously tied to the writings of Mein Kampf and Hitler. And it has that same sound to it. I said, but coverage you have to also look at. He's married to an immigrant who's obviously white from Slovenia, but she just three days ago oversaw a naturalization um process at the National Archives that included people from all types of backgrounds of life, Africa, um, Guatemala, Mexico, all kinds of different countries in which she said uh, we should welcome all immigrants. So the dichotomy there is really interesting, uh, yet it is causing problems, especially for Republican lawmakers having to answer reporters' questions. Yeah, you're starting to have these head slap moments again in the hall here on Capitol Hill. You've had a couple of senators who were asked these questions just the past couple of days about the comments over the weekend about the poisoning of the blood and, and people saying either A, they didn't hear it. I find that hard to believe because everybody hears everything that former President Trump says, frankly, uh, if you're in politics. Or number two, just wanting to sidestep it here. I mean, Mitch McConnell 
No love lost between former President Trump and Mitch McConnell. The Senate Minority Leader was just asked about the uh, the, the blood uh, poisoning uh, comment here, and he said, well, it strikes me that that didn't bother him when he appointed Elaine Chao, his wife, the Secretary of Transportation during his administration. Uh, yeah, again, he we, left out of, uh, all the times he called her Coco Chow and <laughs> ties to China. But besides that. Exactly, exactly. And so that's going to be the problem up here. You know, I talked about all the things we have to ask about in January and February. That's going to be another uh, bit of the conversation up here. And when you talk to many of these Republicans, not all, there have been some who have said it is time to get behind uh, you know, former President Trump. It's obvious that from their perspective, he's going to be the nominee. So as a party, we should coalesce. I mean, look at the at the business that some Democrats gave Dean Phillips, uh, the representative from uh, Minnesota who's running, you know, for not, you know, aligning with former President Trump, uh, with, with President Biden here. I mean, just the idea that you have some Republicans up here who are saying that we should get behind him, but then there's another group of them the non-Trump wing or the people who say the right things in public and say something else in private are just like, oh boy, here we go again. And mm -hmm. they're banking on the idea that maybe they should just try to legislate. Well, that hasn't worked out too hot this year and probably not going to work out too hot next year. Uh, that's another reason why you might see attrition, people either A, quitting or people retiring at, at the end of the Congress or whatever, because they just do not want to deal with this. This yeah. is toxic to them. But you have others who are fully embracing, uh, uh, you know, President Trump. You had Elise Stefanik, uh, the Republican conference chair, um, who I should note, who never ran for speaker, incidentally, during the imbroglio we had back in October, appearing at Mar-a-Lago with uh, former President Trump. Some people have suggested that she might be, you know, one of the top two or three people uh, to be his running mate if he, in fact, secures the nomination. Interesting. And obviously, Jessica, it's usually written that conservatives are pouncing on something, but clearly <laughs> the Biden administration is pouncing and the Biden campaign is pouncing or jumping or whatever you want to use uh, on this weekend speech. Yeah, I think with good reason. Um, it was completely eyebrow raising to hear it. Uh, I guess if you're paying attention, which all of us are probably a bit too much, it could be seen as a natural extension to his vermin comment a few weeks ago, which I know we discussed um, when I was on the panel with you on special report. Um, but this is pretty clear rhetoric of what it is hearkening back to. It comes also on top of the promise to reinstate his Muslim ban, which is an interesting approach at this moment where President Biden is struggling with Arab supporters, um, that you would go and do that. But that is what his base wants. And I think it's completely right to point out the juxtaposition of the immigrant wives. And I would say two of two or three of his wives actually were immigrants. Ivana was as well. Marla Maples was the only American that he married. Um, and I think it just indicates that he is clear about what his base wants and he's going to be giving it to them. And it speaks directly to the frustration that Biden is feeling. And I know there's been a lot of reports around that he's frustrated with his campaign about his poor polling numbers, not in every poll, but certainly in a good chunk of them. And he's sitting there saying, I'm running against a guy who says that migrants are poisoning the blood of America and I'm trailing him in key swing states. Um, and we don't seem to have a plan to get us back on track besides not saying the word Bidenomics. Um, and that's something that's really occupying the democratic psyche at this moment.
It'll be fascinating to see. It'll be an interesting 2024, I'm sure. Uh, Thank you, panel. Now for a bit of history. On December 19th, 1843, Charles Dickens published his classic book, A Christmas Carol. The book, written just weeks before Christmas of 1843, tells the tale, of course, of Ebenezer Scrooge, the greedy business owner who's taught the meaning of Christmas by the visiting of three ghosts. The book became Dickens' most well-known work and film adaptations of the story are aired across television during the Christmas season. See a lot of them. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Matt, Jessica, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.